Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. You can check out everything over at Destination Devi at patreon.com slash allgas. And I want to give a shout out to the Chillbillies over at patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. Uh, we have a very special Patreon-only episode dropping this Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, live on YouTube. It will be Jeremy Timperio of Dynasty Daddy. I've referenced Dynasty Daddy a ton on this show over the last couple months, uh, and he will be coming on Thursday night. It will be a live, private YouTube show uh, where everyone can ask questions about how to maneuver the site. All things Dynasty Daddy will be coming on Thursday June 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can join that and get access to it at patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. And then final plug uh, for Dynasty Trades in 5. So next Saturday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, we will be doing a five-hour live stream on Dynasty Trades in 5. Myself and co-host Clay and Shane will be doing a five-hour live stream on YouTube starting 7 p.m. Eastern, taking Dynasty questions and talking Dynasty strategy. And we have some special guests lined up for that live stream. It'll be five hours of insanity. Again, next Saturday night, June 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, live on the Dynasty Trades in 5 YouTube channel. Check it out if you want more content. Today's show is going to be a brief follow-up to last week where I talked about a couple of my Dynasty goals. Go back and check out that show uh, if you want to hear about the three main things that I've either gotten wrong or that I want to work on slash improve on over the next couple months before the 2023 season. Uh, today's show is going to kind of be a follow-up of how I started to do that this past week. Uh, we had the news of Dalvin Cook getting released by the Vikings, which created this cascade effect of a couple different running backs on the roster all of a sudden elevating themselves into short-term dynasty value. And I happen to have a lot of shares of those three running backs, being Alexander Madison, Ty Chandler, and Dwayne McBride. So I went out and I kind of did a little bit of an experiment of let's see how much the market reacted on those players. You know, where is the line in terms of buying and selling? And not so much 
how much could you get for them, but could you move them? So I'm going to talk about that in the first part of the show and just kind of the psychology behind that, uh, why the results may have been what they were. I have results, tangible results from my portfolio to talk about that I want to share. And it's a little bit of a psychology experiment slash a dynasty social experiment uh, that I think is kind of cool to just look at that in a very, very small subset uh, in a very small snapshot in terms of one specific situation. And then the second half of the show, I want to talk a little portfolio strategy. A quick plug again on June 29th, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Dynasty and Chill Patreon, uh, we will be having Tommy Blair coming on and talking about how to defeat the portfolio player in Dynasty. Um, I've heard him on a couple shows, and that's a topic that is fascinating to me. Obviously, given that I am a portfolio player, a lot of my strategy does come from the fact that I play Dynasty like a portfolio. You know, very agnostic to players, very much looking at how much exposure, where can I gain value here, gain value here, and not really care specifically about the individual players on each team, but more about the macro roster construction and macro exposure across my whole portfolio. So I think he has a new, interesting strategy, or at least a different take. Uh, And the reason I was attracted to that take was essentially... He acknowledged that, hey, portfolio players, when being done right, are tough to beat, but he might have some ideas of how to combat that. So I'm going to say, hey, I want to learn from that. I want to learn what he has to say, and I'm sure there's things that we can take away from his observations of other portfolio players to say, hey, let me see if I can improve my game by listening to somebody that acknowledges what we're doing and is trying to actively combat those strategies in leagues where he's playing against portfolio players. So again, that is in two weeks, June 29th, 7 p.m. Eastern, a live private Patreon feed over on Dynasty and Chill, patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. And so that's going to be the second half of the show, just talking some of my portfolio strategy. I could do an entire series. Uh, In fact, I will probably hit on the portfolio stuff a couple more times throughout this summer on the show. Uh, I could do an entire series talking about why I do things the way that I do. Uh, some tips and tricks for those that are starting to build a portfolio and kind of how to manipulate it across your leagues uh, and why roster construction slash warp, both of those things working together are so beneficial for a portfolio player. And I'll talk about why they are so important if you're playing like a portfolio. You kind of have to have those things in check to maximize the value of your dynasty portfolio. So we'll talk about that in the second half of the show. Uh, And finally, I want to give a shout out to everyone over at the Destination Devi crew. They do great work week to week. And I do want to plug the great work done by the newsletter. You can subscribe to that at allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe, enter your email, and you get weekly content from everybody at the Destination Devi crew. So to start this week's episode, we are going to start with, of course, a tweet, or in this case, multiple tweets. So after the news that Dalvin Cook had been released, now keep in mind, this had been speculated for a long time, even around the NFL draft, before the NFL draft, kind of lingered. Then we heard it might happen before June 1st, and then June 1st came and went, nothing happened. Then he's finally released. But I do think the market has shifted 
over the last couple months on all of the Vikings running backs just a little bit, but especially Alexander Madison and a little bit more on Ty Chandler and Dwayne McBride in rookie drafts uh, for the reason of, you know, what their backfield could be unsettled. If Dalvin Cook gets cut, you're going to want to have exposure to those Vikings running backs. And I think that was a reason that people took Dwayne McBride a little bit higher in rookie drafts, even though he was a seventh round pick. I saw him go over Evan Hall. I saw him go over Chris Rodriguez in a ton of drafts, even though you kind of look at them and you say they're pretty much all in the same bucket. I think the tiebreaker a lot of times was Dwayne McBride simply because of the Dalvin Cook situation. Ty Chandler saw a lot more people at least talking about Ty Chandler. Typically, a day three running back that does absolutely nothing as a rookie is a guy that we're going to kind of bury in the second year. Think of players like Zamir White. Think of players like Isaiah Spiller. Even somebody like Jerome Ford, without there being any sort of buzz around Jerome Ford or the lack of anybody else on the Browns depth chart, that would have been a guy that got buried. Uh, Tyrion Davis-Price was a third-round pick, but essentially he's been buried by the Dynasty community. Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, both of them, they're only there because there's nobody else around them. So until their circumstances or situation elevates these names, it isn't even really that they're worth anything. It's that people keep them on the radar. Well, because I'm looking at the depth chart and there isn't anybody else, but they did absolutely nothing for someone to say, you know what, that guy's going to be able to earn his role. In fact, if any of these teams I mentioned were to go in and sign somebody that is produced in the past, that has a name that we know dynasty players would immediately vault over them, all of a sudden they become buried. And I think it's important to understand the context of what buried means. It isn't they're worth nothing. Because you can argue right now that if you're the second or third running back on an average team, or you're the second or third running back behind a really good running back, you're essentially maybe worth a third round pick to begin with. So the big difference is, it's really, are they worth a roster spot? And then more importantly, are they worth it to somebody else to trade you something tangible? So can you get essentially a third round pick in a super flex league for them? Everybody would roster Ty Chandler if he was cut. Everybody would have picked up Dwayne McBride if he went undrafted in your league. But would those same people give you a third round pick? Would they give you a fourth round pick? And I think I've always said, when you can't get a fourth round pick for a player, like literally look at your roster, regardless of how many roster spots they are. Let's say we're in a start 11, 30 man roster league. If you can't get a fourth round pick for a player, like go out and spam for a fourth round pick. If you can't get a fourth round pick, you have to legitimately question, is there somebody better that I can pick up with that roster spot? That's when you defer to your roster construction and you say, okay, do I have too many tight ends? I talked about that last week. There's a lot of leagues where even though the tight end premium might be 1.75, it might be 2.0. I have too many tight ends and I'm looking at, okay, why am I carrying nine tight ends when six of them are in this range of, I have no clue what they are. Maybe they have a good Raz profile. Maybe they had decent draft capital, but they're not even worth a fourth round pick. So I'll give some examples and then I'll get back to the Vikings running back situation. So Grant Calcaterra was one I had a ton of shares of. Peyton Hendershot was one I had a ton of shares of. Hunter Long was one I had a ton of shares of. Adam Troutman, same thing. Josh Oliver, Cole Turner, Charlie Kohler. A lot of these guys, you can look and say, okay, there's either a path or they had a good Raz profile, or there's a reason that people are stashing them over and over and over. Another guy, Jeremy Ruckert, uh, we saw got a little buzz last week uh, in OTAs. But all of these guys fit into the same archetype. So 
I did a little bit of an experiment with those guys, and I'm not going to really talk about that more in depth, but I essentially went and looked, okay, can I spam these guys out for fourth round picks? Even in those leagues where, hey, it's start two tight ends, it's two PPR, you would think people would go, hey, you know what, maybe I need another tight end. But then if I can't get a fourth round pick, which newsflash, you can't really get a fourth round pick for any of those players, you have to wonder, am I overexposed in terms of I'm carrying too many of these types of players, my league mates won't even give me a fourth round pick, and then I have to think of what would trigger people to say, okay, I'll give a fourth round pick for that player. Because now they're not only taking on the task of using a roster spot on the player, but they're giving up something tangible. Even if it's a fourth round pick, you never know if a fourth and fab can turn into a player or two fourths can turn into a third in a future rookie draft. So there really is just no point in giving up something to disrupt your roster construction as well if you think that you already have too many tight ends for the format. And in a lot of cases, I had too many tight ends. So you do have to say, okay, if I can't get a fourth round pick, I have to pick my spots where I'm going to roster these guys. It's not just roster all of them and then see what happens. Because I think we know with tight ends, the problem is of those eight, nine, 10 names that I just mentioned, you may get zero clarity on most of them when you actually have to cut your rosters down. A lot of my leagues, they're expanded, you know, four or five slots because of the off season and because expansion for rookie drafts, but there's a cut down point. So I fast forward two or three months. Okay, sure. One league, I have nine tight ends like this. Now you would say that's way too many. And I agree it is, but let's say I'm not sure which one I can move or which ones I should cut because I like them all. There's a reason I have them all. I've already dialed in for the most part. 98% of my portfolio is players that I want. I'm not just holding players to hold players. The only example might be I'm holding a ton of running backs that literally aren't on teams just because that's the one position where I could go, okay, they sign, they automatically move into this range. But when you look at these tight ends and you say, okay, why do I have nine of them on a team? Which ones can I trade for a fourth? So I send out offers where I send all eight of them for a fourth. I'll go through in a couple leagues here. I'm going to send you six tight ends and I'm going to send them to everybody in the league with a fourth. And if you do the math on that, I send 10 or 11 other teams, six different tight ends. I'm sending out over 50 offers. And I can do that in the matter of five, 10 minutes. Every one of them's rejected. So that tells me right there, my league has spoken. There is no market for those guys. And everybody is telling me they're barely worth a roster spot. Now, if I went through and cut all six of them, and then I went back in and bid it on all six on waivers, in the next waiver run for $0. I bet you there's a pretty good chance that one or two of them may be picked up by somebody else. And that's fine. But I've now priced out that, hey, the price is not a fourth rounder, but it's more than a roster spot because someone else will pick up those players. So once you acknowledge that, you kind of realize how to roster construct in that range. And if you're making too many mistakes, you're literally just wasting roster spots that you can kind of give to somebody else and it becomes their problem. So back to the Vikings running backs, that's getting into a little bit of the tight end theory. And I did kind of go into that when I was meaning to talk about it at the end of the show, but it literally bleeds into uh, what I'm about to talk about with uh, Ty Chandler and Dwayne McBride. So Alexander Madison, I think that's its own beast. You know, there's been a lot of debates this week on what is Alexander Madison worth, uh, who would pay for him. I think generally the smart dynasty manager uh, is realizing that, hey, the Vikings could still add a running back, which obviously is possible for about half the teams in the league at this point. 
And you start to hear that crutch. Well, I'm not going to do anything at running back yet because these teams could add Kareem Hunt or Leonard Fournette or Ezekiel Elliott or now Dalvin Cook or anybody else, right? Somebody could add Kenyon Drake or Melvin Gordon. Like any of these guys, you may go, oh, Kenyon Drake or Melvin Gordon, fine. But you know what? If he gets signed or one of those guys gets signed to the Vikings or the Patriots or the Cowboys, they are going to destroy the quote-unquote like market cachet or market demand for a guy like Pierre Strong or a guy like Malik Davis. Like those guys are barely holding on to, hey, they're worth a third. Hey, I can sell them for a third. But if they were to add another body, all of a sudden people go, oh man, I don't really want to spend my third on one of those guys. I don't even know if they're going to make the team because they don't have the name cachet or the profile or the pedigree for people to say, I'm confident to buy in. In fact, even the Isaiah Spillers of the world don't have that. Like, if the Chargers were to add another running back right now, people aren't going, oh, man, I need to keep Isaiah Spiller. Like, let me go out and give a third because I believe in him. Like, that generally doesn't happen. So I think Madison is its own beast. Uh, People are saying, oh, man, I can sell him for a first. Good luck. I'm not seeing him go for a first. I sent out 54 trades involving my Alexander Madison shares for a first, a 24 first, or a 25 first. Nada, zilch, not a single except. Uh, a lot of people just decline and move on. A couple people put comments in saying, I don't believe in him, or I don't want to buy at this point, or they could add somebody else. All true. But the point is, the idea of stashing Madison and the idea of stashing a running back in general for something to happen so that you can trade them for a profit, probably not going to work. We're starting to see a very rigid running back market in Dynasty where People know the guys they would be willing to give up like a future first or first plus four. And then there's the everybody else's. And it's very difficult until those everybody else's are exceeding the production expectations. There's very few people that are going to go, you know what? I love Madison's situation now. Let me go fire my 24 first or my 25 first just to get him on my team in June. And when you think about that, it's not a smart move to do it. Even if you like him and you think he's worth a first, even if you think he's just as good as Damian Pierce or just as good as Rashad White, like whoever other running back out there, you'd say, yeah, I'd pay a late first for that guy. It doesn't really matter. You understand it's not a smart move to do it now. There's a lot more ways you can be wrong about that than you can be right. At the same time, everybody that has Madison is going, okay, I had a good handcuff. I had a top 40 running back before Dalvin Cook. Now I potentially have a top 20 running back or better, and there is a range of outcomes where he ends up just being the starter this year. He is the lead back. You know, I looked in the player comps from historical usage, and the two players that Alexander Madison comps most to in terms of points per opportunity and efficiency per touch for his career, one David Montgomery, which you'd go, you know what? I kind of like that. If I can get David Montgomery for another year out of Alexander Madison, maybe two years, sign me up. I'd maybe even pay a late first for that. The other comp is Zach Moss. And you go, okay, Zach Moss was never even a starter in the NFL for a brief period of time with the Bills. But other than that, he's always been a backup plotter. So you go, you know what? The range of outcomes for Madison is probably somewhere in that range, which is a scary range. That is a range of currently Zach Moss is on a team, probably a good chance to be the backup running back for the Colts. And guess what? He's not even worth a third. He's in that range of, I'm not even sure if I want to roster him. And then David Montgomery, yeah, he's not worth a first anymore, but he's a top 24 running back. He's a starter on a team. 
So it's a wide range of outcomes for Madison. So this isn't even going to be about Madison, but I did want to just throw it out there that I did send out. I have seven shares of Madison. I sent out Madison for a first in every league where it made sense for me to do it. And when I say it made sense, meaning like the picks actually have legitimate value and there's no Debbie depletion or no weird rules with picks, like they're a legitimate first round value. I sent out those trades for Madison, over 70 trade offers, no accepts, all declines, a lot of trades still hanging out there, but essentially all of them declined, a couple of them with comments. Yeah, this isn't a smart move. So I agree. So let's get to Dwayne McBride and Ty Chandler. So after Dalvin Cook's release, I tweeted out, would you pay a 2024 third round pick for Dwayne McBride in a Superflex PPR Dynasty League? I tweeted the same thing for Ty Chandler. Would you pay a 2024 third round pick for Ty Chandler in a Superflex PPR Dynasty League? Now, both of these polls had over 1,200 replies, 1,200 votes, and the results were pretty much the same. 64.7% said they would not pay a third for Dwayne McBride. 69.2% said they would not pay a third for Ty Chandler. So basically between 30 and 35%. So let's call it on the aggregate. A third of dynasty managers would pay a third for either Dwayne McBride or Ty Chandler. Everybody else would not. No context, no talk about how many starters, no talk about if it's point per carry, no talk if it is... 9 starters, 11 starters, 13 starters, 32-man rosters, 36-man rosters, 25-man rosters. No context at all to the poll. Yes or no. Just kind of a psychology experiment I wanted to put out there, given that both of those names currently are probably going to be in a battle for the number two running back. Uh, Now, it was interesting because McBride's been dealing with an injury, but he still won the poll by more than 5% or close to 5% more would pay a third for him versus Chandler. And simply because he's probably the guy you haven't seen yet. We've seen Ty Chandler very briefly last year. He was injured, didn't do much. So you can just see the recency bias of, well, McBride is the new toy, even though he had worse draft capital than Ty Chandler did a year ago. He's somebody we haven't seen fail yet. So you can even see right there, there's a little bias in terms of, I've seen this guy fail a little bit, or not even fail, but more just not do anything. So give me the other guy. And I don't think we look at drafting Wayne McBride like, man, they drafted McBride because they don't like Ty Chandler. But I digress. The point is, McBride still won, even though kind of the tea leaves right now say would probably be Chandler that's slightly ahead of McBride. But it doesn't really matter. They're both around a third of people would pay a third for them. So I go, you know what, let me do a quick experiment. I go to my portfolio and I look, okay, how many shares of Ty Chandler did I have? So at the time I had 13 shares of Ty Chandler. So then I go through and go, how many shares of Dwayne McBride did I have? I had five shares of Dwayne McBride. So between the two, I'm sitting at 18 shares of both, five of McBride, 13 of Ty Chandler. And I believe only one league did I have both. So I go, you know what? I have enough here to run a little bit of an experiment. Now, I went out and I said, okay, I'm going to send those guys for a 2024 or a 2025 third. And then I go, you know what? 2025 third, it kind of goes against the polls that I posted because I said a 2024 third. So if I'm going to compare my results in sending out these trades to these polls, I probably have to stick to what I said in the tweet. So I go, you know what? Scratch that. I'm not going to count any offers that I made for a 2025 third. 
just going to talk about the ones that I made for a 2024 third. So then I look at my portfolio. And of course, I talked about this last week. I already have, uh, at the time, 84 2024 third round picks out of 50 leagues. So I'm already kind of overexposed on thirds. But of course, I don't mind how many I have because I'm planning on using those thirds for something during the season or adding them to deals at a later time. So it really doesn't matter. But there's multiple leagues where I go in and I look, yeah, and I already have four of the 12 thirds in this league. So I'm going to try to get more, but there's obviously less people that I can trade with. So I go through and combined. So combined between these leagues, again, I had 18 shares of these players and I went out and I sent out as many offers as I could involving a 2024 third round pick. I sent out over 150 offers of deals for Dwayne McBride and Ty Chandler for a 2024 third and just spammed, just went through to every team, sent offer, sent offer, sent offer. Teams that had four third rounders of their own sent for every single one of them. Didn't matter. Now, is that person probably going to see any of them that differently? Probably not. But the point was, any third that was not on my team, I sent to try to send these guys away. So I sent out over 150 offers. Some of those leagues, I had some of the thirds, so it cut down on how many I could have sent. But over 150 offers. And this was on June 8th, so this is right after I posted those polls. So four days ago, I sent these offers out. As of right now, I believe there's only been about 50 of those that have not been rejected that are still sitting out there. So let's call it out of 100. I don't know exactly how many it's been because I sent out, I believe it was around like 159 offers. uh, And I believe there's somewhere around like 50 or so that have not been declined or accepted. Uh, But I've counted how many have been rejected thus far. And it's just over 100. So we're talking out of 100. Let's just call it 100 to make it easy. Only three offers have been accepted. I was able to sell two Ty Chandler shares, and I was able to sell one Dwayne McBride share. So two Ty Chandler shares and one Dwayne McBride share. And actually, one of the Ty Chandlers, I ended up getting a 2025 third rounder as well. So I got an extra third in the deal. So that was a nice little sweetener to get the extra third in there. Uh, But the other ones were a straight-up third for Ty Chandler, and then the other one was a straight-up third for Dwayne McBride. So there you go. Out of the leagues I sent out the offers, out of 100, three out of 100 have been accepted. Now, that doesn't line up with the 33-ish percent that the Twitter polls reflect, right? So I'm sitting here going like, okay, where is the disconnect, right? I mean, obviously, we can say that when someone answers on Twitter and they just click yes or no, there's no context to what they're saying. They don't have a team that they're basing this off of. They can just click yes But then they actually get in a league and they may click no. And they may say, well, you know, I don't need another guy like Ty Chandler on this team. And a lot of times, so when I see that, if I see someone give me a response that's like, yeah, I don't need another running back in this tier, or I'd rather use my third for another type of player, I immediately click on their team and I go, what's their roster construction look like? And for the most part, the person that, is saying that typically you look at their roster construction and you go, yep, too many roster clogger receivers, not enough running backs. Maybe they don't even have high enough running backs. So really you look at it and you go, okay, they don't have the right allocation of resources. Even if their roster construction is okay, 
They probably can use another running back. They're nowhere near like the 50% number that they probably should be at, but they're not there. So it's just kind of like you can tell right away that even when they decline, unless they say, hey, I'm going to use that third round pick to buy Ty Chandler later when he's actually the backup, then I'm kind of questioning, does that manager have a strategy? And I think this comes full circle to, okay, I said, I think I can get 30% of these shares sold for thirds. I go out, I have the portfolio to send out over 150 offers, three out of 100 get accepted. And I'm guessing based on the results thus far, that's not going to go that much higher. Meaning once the rest of them either fade away or get declined, I'm probably going to be somewhere around two to 3% accept rate. So where's the disconnect? Now, I have to figure that because I talk portfolio strategy, I talk about liquidation and using picks at a later time. I'm guessing a lot of the members in these leagues that are declining these trades, they may follow the content. They may listen to the show. They may realize, hey, Scott's trying to send me this player for a third. And it isn't even that I don't think the player is worth a third. I think they're worth a third. I think a running back like Dwayne McBride or Ty Chandler or insert one of 50 names I could insert into that archetype is worth a third. The question is, are they worth a third on June 11th or June 12th or even July 11th or July 12th? In reality, we probably know they're not. That third is better used at a later time when I have more information. So that is the lesson that I took away from this is you can post a Twitter poll and go, you know what? 60% people said they would do this, but it's missing the context. It's missing the strategy component of, okay, sure. In a vacuum, yes or no, I have to pick one. But the numbers, if people are being true and they're having to evaluate that question today, regardless of their team, regardless of the type of league or anything like that, the real idea is, would you actually do this today? And I think that's the biggest disconnect that I'm learning is when you put stuff out there, you may say, oh, it's 50-50. And this gets into trade calculators. This gets into anything what you think you can leverage to make decisions in a certain percentage range. You have to kind of question, okay, there's no time component that's ever asked in those questions. Let alone, there's no context, there's no team specifications or anything, but there's no time component. And I think this is where the average dynasty managers are getting smarter. And I don't want to say that the average dynasty manager doesn't reflect who's voting in Twitter polls, because the reality is, it is. A lot of people out there that are in your leagues are also the ones on Dynasty Twitter that are responding to Twitter polls. Now, sure, are they some random people that are responding that don't actually play? Maybe. But there's a lot more people that are playing Dynasty that are reading this stuff. They may not be in leagues with you, but they're playing. They're facing these same decisions. They're rostering these same players. Now, they may not be sharp leagues. They may not be leagues that have this type of strategy, but they're still voting from the context of they are the market that you're trying to gauge until it actually gets into the nitty gritty of their team. They have to make the decision. Then it really comes down to subconsciously, they are evaluating this time-based component. Do I want to use that third rounder today? What could go wrong versus what could go right? It's like the pros and cons list. When you ever have a decision to make in life, write out a pros and cons list. And if you write out the cons list of trading that third for Dwayne McBride, right now, or trading that third for Ty Chandler right now, the cons list is much higher than the pros list. The pros list is, okay, he has a good OTAs. He has a good mini camp. 
He gets a role in the preseason. They don't sign anyone else, and he's the backup or the third-string running back on opening day. And even if that hits, you still have a backup or a third-string running back. Then you look at the cons, and Dwayne McBride, he's not that good. He gets beat out by Ty Chandler. Even Kine Nwangwu is active because he's a special teams player. So he's the fourth running back at best. He's already injured. What if he continues to deal with a nagging injury, doesn't make the team, continues to deal with a nagging injury, and gets placed on IR? The Vikings sign somebody else. The Vikings bring in another UDFA running back or somebody that is occupying the same spot, and he faces more competition, not for starter reps, not even for backup reps, but just reps for someone else to make the team. So there's all these other things that come into play where you go, man, that could be negative for Dwayne McBride, could be negative for Ty Chandler, positive? Okay, sure. I get a backup running back. And I think people kind of realize that when they go, man, I can probably buy a backup running back for a third once I know who all the backup running backs are, once I get to the season. And that comes down to the theory of if you're going to play Dynasty as a portfolio player, you can leverage these situations. You can sell when you have excess Ty Chandler or excess Dwayne McBride, but you can also use the fact that if you can collect these picks, you can play this way across your portfolio. You don't have to be dependent on one single league to hope you can play this way. You can diversify, and you can use this across multiple leagues. Roster construct around the fact that you're going to need to buy running backs when they come up, and then you do it because you have these excess picks. And not everybody thinks about it that way. You know, Not everybody looks at it on that macro view of things. And I think it's the biggest takeaway of me going through and making this a experiment that I can do. How does what actually happens in my portfolio when I send out over 100 trades for Ty Chandler and Dwayne McBride for a 2024 third differ from what makes up the answers in the Twitter polls? And it's massive. So I just leave everybody to think about that. Any portfolio players out there, anybody that's just playing in general, even if you're playing in five leagues, 10 leagues, eight leagues, whatever. What is the difference? Think about that psychology difference as to why somebody would say yes in the Twitter poll and then immediately go to their league and hit no when it's offered to them. And that in between, that thought process, that psychology, I think is the key component of kind of mastering becoming a really, really good, if not great dynasty player. That's the part that you have to think about and attack and go, what makes that up? What is the difference in that? Because it's not just yes or no. If everything was yes or no, you could literally just go, okay, I know most people are going to say yes to this. And I can just apply that if I have 20 shares of Ty Chandler, I should be able to sell six of them based on this Twitter poll. That's a free six third round picks, but it doesn't work that way. You still have to go out. You still have to make those moves. So just a cool psychology example that I wanted to share with everybody. Uh, This is what happens with my dynasty portfolio all the time. This is literally what I'm doing constantly when the news breaks, when players sign, when players get cut, when players get traded during the season, when players have a big game, when players are in a down spot, everything. This is the life of a dynasty portfolio player grinding, grinding literally the backup running backs for thirds, the backup tight ends for fourths. Like that's the life of the dynasty portfolio player. And I think the psychology behind it is absolutely fascinating. So something to ponder. What is the difference in that range? What thoughts does that invoke when you're thinking about this? And with that, we will go ahead and take a short break before we get into part two. And we'll hear from our newest sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored 
by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest. It's a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Debbie team. The best part? If you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Debbie Discord, where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up. Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Debbie Discord. Back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, For the second part of the show, we're going to talk about some portfolio strategies. Uh, This is going to be more of the introduction to portfolio strategy. I plan on expanding much more on this throughout the summer, uh, doing some more portfolio shows, maybe even having a guest or two on to talk some portfolio strategy. Uh, But the beginning part or the first part of this show basically gave a very specific example of how portfolio playing differs from just a general dynasty person that is in two or three leagues or someone that just plays in a lot of leagues but does not treat it like a portfolio. And I wanted to highlight the biggest advantage that I think the portfolio player has when they have a process or a plan in place with their portfolio. Now, one thing I do want to establish is that part of portfolio playing is getting into a lot of different types of leagues along with a lot of leagues. So I will define a portfolio as somebody that has at least 10 dynasty leagues, but also has some variance amongst the formats of those dynasty leagues. I don't mean one QB versus super flex, uh, but I generally mean some leagues that are a little deeper, some that are shallower, some start 10, some start 11, start 12, start 13, some 12 teamers, some 14 teamers, maybe some 16 teamers. Then you also have in there different levels of tight end premium, some that are start two tight end. You have some that are heavy point per carry, some that are no point per carry, and maybe they have juiced quarterback scoring or juiced receiver scoring, Uh, some that require only one position at each spot to be started. So one, 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 and then a bunch of flexes. So different formats. And what that does is that allows you a broader scope of being able to diversify without having to diversify against the market. And what I mean by that is you can diversify based on the player pool, the player pool in the dynasty landscape, aligning your exposure of those players in the leagues where it makes the most sense. That's an advantage. That's an advantage that the portfolio player has over somebody else because there's finite outcomes with players. So let's just take a random wide receiver three. So let's just throw in the name Mike Williams. He's probably a little bit lower than Mike Williams, but let's just give an example of Mike Williams. Now, Mike Williams is probably a player that in a lot of formats, he's right on the fringe of whether he's a starter or not. But you can also imagine where would it be advantageous to have your Mike Williams shares? Probably A, in leagues where you can start more players. B, in leagues where maybe you have Justin Herbert. C, in leagues where They're either heavy point per carry leagues, so you can say almost lowest common denominator at wide receiver. He gives me the highest bang for my buck if I have to just roster a receiver. And the reason I say that is he is an example of a player that even in a start 11 PPR league, he's kind of right in the middle to back end of the threshold. And you're probably always constantly looking at like I can replace him much cheaper than probably what his potential upside slash his market value is. And so if I can get 
two seconds for Mike Williams, for instance, or maybe a second and a third for Mike Williams, I can probably replace him very close to his production with a third round pick, with two third round picks. So he's probably always one of those guys where you go, okay, technically he's a threshold receiver, uh, but he's not one that I'm like, I have to hold on to because he's an ascending asset or he's an asset that has a ton of upside. So with that, you kind of look at what format would it make most sense to roster a guy like Mike Williams? Well, A, in a 14-team start 12, sure, he's a starter. It's deep enough where he is a starter. doesn't really matter how deep the threshold goes. In that format, it's not deep enough to where you would put him outside of starter range. So he's a starter. It would make perfect sense if you get him at a good deal. He's a starter there. Uh, another league would be like a heavy point per carry league where you want to flex as many running backs as possible. I have some of those where, guess what? I don't want to tie my value up in elite receivers in those leagues. Maybe if I have one, but other than that, I don't want to be holding on to the elite receivers because the market is not going to adjust quick enough in those leagues to where the bang for my buck is actually going to be higher at running back than it would be a receiver. So what I have to end up doing is essentially just settling for really close to replacement value. And so I'd be fine having a guy like Mike Williams as a starter in a 12-team start 12 point per carry league where I only have to start two receivers. Like, I can either get the elite receivers if I can get them at the right price, but probably the market of my league is still going to value the receivers much higher because they're receivers. They're not going to adjust enough to the format. Then the third example would be if you are in a 12-team start 9 or a 12-team start 10. Mike Williams is not a player you'd want to have in a format like that because he's a liquidation piece. He's a player that if he's on your bench, you are actually better off having a backup running back or you're better off just having that Mike Williams value liquidated in the form of a second-round pick. So let's just say you had a couple Mike Williams shares. Let's say you have five. You're in 20 leagues. You have five Mike Williams shares. You've identified, I am overexposed on this random wide receiver three, wide receiver four, doesn't have much much market value, but I can also tell myself a story where he is usable because we've seen him produce in the past. We know he can have some spike weeks or some blow up weeks. So he's justifiably worth a roster spot in every league. But then you look at your portfolio and you say, okay, I have five out of 20. I have too many. I want to try to sell one or two of them. Where is it best for me to sell? And so you can play that two different ways. But the first way is look at, is the exposure that I have to Mike Williams and acknowledge that I want to have a little exposure to him. Maybe not 30%, really maybe no more than 10%, but I want to have him in two leagues. So I'm in 20 leagues. I want to have him in two. I can have that 10% aligned in the leagues where it makes the most sense. Doesn't cost me any more or less to get that 10%. I still only need to get him in two leagues and assuming that I can play kind of flat market value for those two shares that I have, I can gain a little extra value in my portfolio by putting him or parking him in the right space based on the format that I'm playing in. And that's the first thing, is aligning players across the pool where they make sense most with the format. In my anecdotal experience, the market, the players in your league, even in the extreme formats, the extreme tight end scoring, the extreme quarterback scoring, the extreme running back point per carry scoring, the league value does not adjust quick enough or to the extreme enough to what the format warrants. So in a point per carry league, especially like 0.25 point per carry, you can literally run the scoring matrix, which you can find over at Destination Devi or at Dynasty and Chill. And you never want to play a receiver in the flex unless it is a top 15 receiver. 
And then you sit there and you go, okay, cool. I can play top 15 receivers in the flex. And then you realize, man, it's really hard to get top 15 receivers. And the price I have to pay is closer to the price that I would have to pay if it wasn't point per carry. So really in no circumstance, do you find yourself ever tempted to putting a receiver in the flex if you roster construct right? So when you're there, you probably go, that is never the type of format I would want to roster C.D. Lamb or A.J. Brown, because the bang for your buck is way too high in terms of what you could probably trade them for versus what they give you relative to the running back position. So that would be the format where I would say, hey, I want to try to get my Mike Williams shares there. Vice versa, there's other formats where you go, okay, I would not want to roster a guy like Mike Williams. And then I look through my portfolio and say, okay, I have five shares. Where are the ones across those five where the league format, assuming everything else is equal, lines up most for me to keep them? And then I activate phase two of the portfolio strategy and you say, okay, now I've identified the one that I know I want to keep them there. One out of the five I know is already in a great spot. He fits a specific component to my roster construction. I can think of a roster I have, which is a 12-team start 12 point per carry league, 0.25 point per carry league, two PPR for tight ends, and you only have to start two receivers. I have roster constructed in that league. I carry very little equity at receiver. I'm carrying four, maybe five usable receivers, and that is what gets me through the entire season. And I really don't want to carry any expensive equity in those receivers. If I have one that ends up being good, like I actually have Drake London on that team, that's a guy where I'm like, man, he's probably too valuable on the market for what I'm asking him to do on this specific team. So he would be the one I would go, can I pivot off of Drake London for something else? I probably want to get another receiver, but can I pivot off Drake London for a receiver and a running back? If I can just get a usable wide receiver three for Drake London, I would rather have another running back that's worth like a second rounder, or I'd rather get another running back in a point per carry league where I know I can plug and play because what I'm expecting from the Drake London share in that league is very minimal. That would be the league I go, hey, I want Mike Williams. And I do have Mike Williams in that league, and I want him there because what I could sell him for really would just probably be a one for one for a future pick. And even in that league, people may go, I wouldn't even give you a second. Because they kind of know in that league that the market for seconds usually means you can convert seconds into running backs. So I think thinking about it that way, I've identified, hey, I have five shares of Mike Williams. The portfolio player in me can say, okay, I'm keeping him in this one spot because he fits perfectly with my construction. The other four, I'm open to moving them. And that's phase two of the portfolio strategy is you go through and you say, now I have four leagues where I can move Mike Williams. Now, you may look at it, and I think this is the biggest mistake portfolio players make, is they look at their teams and they say, man, I know the portfolio strategy says I should sell a couple of these guys. I'm a little overexposed, and I'm not going to talk much today about what my kind of thresholds are for exposure. We'll save that for a future show. Uh, But a lot of times people look at it and they say, I know I'm overexposed. I'm above whatever my targeted threshold is for a player that I know I should probably cash out on. But then they zoom in and they say, okay, in this example, I have four shares of Mike Williams that I've identified that I can sell. My goal is to sell two of them, or my goal is to sell three of them, whatever your target is. But then they start looking at that and they go, man, all of these four shares are not created equal. This team is contending. This team is not contending. So then they say, I'd rather sell the one that's not contending. And that's where you kind of lose the strength of playing the portfolio. You have to be able to identify 
where are players optimally parked based on my portfolio and based on how it aligns with the league's roster construction, then go all to the other leagues and say, I have four Mike Williams shares instead of putting him out there on the block to one league. Like this is the one league I'm rebuilding in this league, right? So of course I'd want to try to trade Mike Williams, but that's kind of defeating the portfolio strategy. You're not using it to your advantage there because everyone knows that's the Mike Williams share you want to sell. What you want to do is you want to kind of play all four of those leagues together against each other and say, you know what, I'm going to leverage the fact that of these four Mike Williams shares, I'm selling two of them. Now, the differences between what you get in one or the other may be very minor. Then you can look at the league and say, which one does it make most sense, given that the only two leagues that I have offers are these two. You know, I put them on the block in four leagues, didn't get what I wanted in two, but two of them, I did get offers that are competitive. Then you kind of look at it and say, I'm going to break the tie between the two or which one I'm going to sell. And if you want to sell two, then maybe you just take the two that you got offers in. But that's how you play it. You actually play, instead of just playing two or three managers in your league that are interested, you're actually playing two or three managers across four leagues that are interested in the player. And the idea being, you can accept the best offer amongst those 12 offers instead of the best offer amongst four. And a lot of times where people get hung up on it is they go, oh man, you know, I really don't want to trade them here because I'm quote unquote contending, but I want to trade them there because I'm rebuilding. And really what they mean by the contending part is they think it might hurt their depth a little bit, or they think, oh man, you know, I, I really may need to buy a guy like that back later. I'd rather sell him in this league, but you're not benefiting from a portfolio there. You're essentially just kind of cowering to the fact that you're not comfortable with the trade. But really, you've put all four of those shares on the block and you're playing everybody against each other. And because you've aligned the players in the spots best with where they should be based on the format, you're taking the best price amongst all your leagues. And this is even magnified if you go to my portfolio and I look and I see, okay, what big name player or player that actually has some market value do I have tons of shares of? I'll give an example, Rashad Bateman. I have 10 shares of Rashad Bateman across 50 leagues. Now, there's some of those where he's already stacked with Lamar Jackson, and a couple of those are deeper leagues. Those are ones I want to keep them. Like, I have identified that I probably do not want this much Rashad Bateman. I probably want to sell three or four shares. I'd like to be down to like five or six instead of 10. Now, a couple of those, probably three of them are ones where I've already looked, and I go, this is the league I'm willing to keep them. The format, the stack, whatever, I want to keep them there. So then I go to the other seven and I say, okay, how do I go about using these seven leagues against each other and seeing what I can get? And then once the offers come rolling in and one tactic, I'm just transparent when I go and put this player on the block, I will literally go into the group chat or on my trade block and say, putting Rashad Bateman on the block, I'm overexposed across my portfolio, taking offers. And that's it. It isn't anything more to it than that. And then just let the offers come to me. Now, one or two leagues, no one may even make an offer. That's fine. But in a couple other leagues, somebody might. And then I can evaluate all of those against each other. So I'm basically just widening my net. And I think the widening of the net is the biggest benefit of the portfolio strategy. And it works if you're the aggressor in the trades. I can haphazardly go through, and maybe I wouldn't do it in seven leagues with Bateman, but maybe in four leagues, I would. 
I would pick those seven that I'm willing to move them. Then I would zoom in and say, here are the four where I am willing to just take a second or a third combined. If I can get a second and a third for Rashad Bateman in these four specific leagues, because it fits my roster construction or because the format warrants that I can trade from the slot that he occupies for liquidation, then I will. And those four, I will just go spam. With the goal being, maybe I sell two of the four. And when they get accepted, they get accepted. If they don't, they don't. But sometimes I'll do that and two of them will be accepted in two leagues. I'll go and revoke the other offers. Boom, we're done. So it's literally just playing the portfolio roster ship against each other instead of trying to play just individual manners against each other in your league. You're widening their net. And then you're benefiting even more if you go through and you do an honest assessment of your roster construction, you do an honest assessment of how you want to build your team, putting it together, and then deciding, are the players that I have on that team best aligned for that format? And these are things you want to think about if you're building a portfolio. It doesn't start overnight. It doesn't start right with one or two leagues. you got to start getting into a number of leagues with different formats over time where the teams are in different spots but you're always trying to align the roster construction with the players based on where they fit best. And then obviously that changes. You know, a guy like Bateman could go out and have a good season and his market changes. Now the formats you'd be preferring him probably don't change much, but like that Drake London example, there may be a league where, hey, if Bateman goes out and has a really good year, he may be the sell in the point per carry league then because he's elevated himself to a market where the market of people in that league start viewing him a little higher than he should be relative to the format. So a fascinating thing that I want to continue to dive into, um, I want to dive into some best ball portfolio and some lineup strategy portfolio, and then also how to blend those. Because I think there's a really good sweet spot in terms of roster construction between both. And if you just think about the difference between roster construction in best ball and in lineup, where's the overlap? It's typically at the cutoff point for running backs is a lot slimmer in best ball and the expansion of how many receivers are relevant is a lot deeper in best ball. So there's that overlap. There's probably 20 or 30 extra running backs or more in lineup leagues that I would prefer, and there's probably 30, 40 more receivers in best ball that I would prefer. That's the only overlap in the player pool. Everything else is pretty similar. So probably I want to say, okay, certain formats, I want lineup league running backs. Certain formats, I want best ball dart throw receivers. And that's it. And that's probably where the overlap would be in your portfolio. So when you merge those two together, I'm going, okay, there's probably a sector of running backs and a sector of receivers that I want to align in my best ball leagues versus my lineup leagues. So we'll talk a little more about that. I'll talk more on my personal portfolio strategy on just other ways that you can leverage it. And then shout out again to uh, Tommy Blair, who will be coming on the show on uh, June 29th on the Patreon uh, Dynasty and Chill Feed. It'll be a YouTube feed, again, patreon.com slash dynasty and chill, private YouTube feed, 7 p.m. We'll be talking about some of this portfolio stuff. Uh, I'm going to send him some common portfolio strategies, uh, just see if he has any thoughts on kind of how to defeat those. That's what the show is going to be about, is acknowledging the portfolio player and trying to find ways that you can disrupt the portfolio player's strategy and the portfolio player's market. So with that, I will go ahead and sign off. Again, check out everything at Destination Devi at patreon.com slash allgas. The newsletter at allgas.beehive, B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com backslash subscribe. 
uh, check out Dynasty Trades in 5. We have the live stream coming up on June 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, a five-hour live stream taking questions, talking strategy. That is on the Dynasty Trades in 5 YouTube channel. Appreciate everybody. More portfolio strategy to come. Keep enjoying the off-season. Uh, the season will be here before you know it. And we will see you next week. Be chill. Ain't like, only ones I keep around me is my family.